Hello and welcome to Rodney's Rambles. Uh, today we'll be talking about the concepts of mana and tapu throughout the Pacific Islands. I am Rodney Miller. I'm Jillian Brown. And I'm Hunter Sikelski. Throughout this podcast, we will be highlighting some interesting and unique facts that we found out through a concept uh, that's not mostly well known in uh, the Western world. Uh, the term mana first appeared in a journal dictating Captain James Cook's third and final journey in 1794. Uh, the thing I found most interesting about it is James Cook spelled mana with two N's, so it's M-A-N-N-A, and not mana with one N. However, in today's academic world, we do spell it with one N. Hmm. Do you know... Uh, why he did that? Uh, so Captain James Cook, from my understanding, uh, interacted with a lot of Polynesian and Melanesian peoples, and from his understanding, mono was spelled with two N's and not one. However, due to, you know, the time and missionary Robert Henry Codrington, uh, he started spelling mono with one N due to his times throughout uh the Pacific Islands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, one thing I also found really interesting is the term mana became very westernized in the 19th century and depicts its origin, origin in relation to religion. Uh, that also had to do with uh, missionary Robert Hendrington. Uh, he first used the term mana in his scholarly reports using the teachings and books as a reference uh, to educate the Western world a little bit about uh, Micronesia, Polynesia, and Melanesia. That is really interesting to me because when I was researching mana, uh, I came up with a more 21st century definition where it's used in almost a, a fantastical way where mana was kind of associated closely with like uh, wizards and witches and like kind of like spells and that kind of thing. So I think it's interesting that it, that you brought it to religion is where your research brought you. So m- the missionary Robert Codrington uh, first used it in 1891, which is the end of the 19th century. Um, after his journeys throughout the Pacific Islands, uh, he went back to England and started writing his scholarly reports and his dictations of what he witnessed going on throughout the uh, regions. And the thing that he noticed was that mana had a very close tie to a lot of religion within Micronesia. Um, I don't know too much about Polynesia or Melanesia, Mm -hmm. but from what I found, uh, mana is a result of a person's impression, their influence, and their societies. So the more influence you have, uh, the more you are seen to be closely related to the ancestors, which is what their religion is based off of. They look to their ancestors for guidance and uh, essentially just, you know, how to do their lives. Uh, they look to their ancestors to protect them from storms and wind and rain and to also help them fight in battles. Yeah, kind of like a, kinda a way to connect them to the spirits and, and their ancestors in the spirit world. Yeah. That's, that's, kind of, that's kind of how I interpreted it as well. And throughout that research, it took me down a rabbit hole to the... Um, <laughs> aboriginal Australians use of dream time and how they believe 
ancestors created everything from rocks and wind and rain and waves and storms and that just kind of you know maybe there's a connection there i couldn't actually find anything concrete to point to that connection except for the fact that aboriginal australians left mainland southeast asia or sunda and island hopped um, throughout uh, polynesia micronesia and melanesia to get to australia yeah i think i think it's definitely likely that that happened um but there's no i don't think there's a concrete way to prove that it happened Mm -hmm. especially since it happened 50 or so thousand years ago it's definitely hard to prove um melanesia and uh, the other pacific islands their history is mostly oral and they tell it through stories song and dance it's not like the western world europe uh, europe asia Africa, Egypt, you know, these countries started using written forms of history mm-hmm. that we are just now as a society starting to uh, decrypt and translate into modern day English and languages. So the fact that their history has been lost and most of it due to European colonialism and the yeah. Pacific Islands and the illnesses and diseases that were spread there and so many people did die from diseases they had no immune immunity to it's quite upsetting yeah Yeah, and it's like playing a giant game of telephone with their history which is interesting but also um unfortunate because everything that we will have now is just a theory Mm -hmm. that is definitely true um one thing i found really interesting is that in micronesia itself um manantapu is not as uh formalized or civilized in their societies as it is in melanesia or polynesia And the only instances that I could find are from Polynesians who emigrated to the Murdoch Islands from Polynesia to to Micronesia, and that is how it started. Cool. Yeah, I I think that in terms of mana, I think it it was less so in Micronesia as, and it was, what I found was it was mostly in Polynesia to the point where it was so big that it spread to Melanesia and, by extension, Micronesia. So uh, I, th- I believe that, uh, Jillian, you were Polynesia. Mm-hmm. So what did you find? <clears throat> yeah, so the concepts of mana and tapu are very unique in Polynesia compared to the rest of the Pacific Islands, and that emphasizes animism, which is defined by a Britannica as the perspective in which all things, animate and inanimate, were believed to be endowed to a greater or lesser degree with sacred supernatural power. And through this concept of um, animism, that really sends a um, really thorough message throughout everything that the Polynesian islands do. And you can see it repeatedly. So Polynesians believed that their chiefs also had so much power that if someone were to even touch a chief's shadow, that person must die. Um, Because it was seen as a sense of like disrespect, and even to this day, um, in the Polynesian islands, it is seen as like fr- it's like frowned upon to like mm-hmm. pass your hand over somebody's leg or stand um, on higher ground than somebody who's of higher rank than you, just because of um, the differences in mana and it would be considered disrespectful to that other person's energy. Um, while other Pacific islands in Micronesia and especially Melanesia uh, did not view women as equals or of higher value. Polynesian islands believe that women had lots of mana. So we know that in places like Melanesia, um, 
women would often have to go away when they were um, on their menstrual cycles and yeah. women and men weren't allowed to stay in the same houses um, because mm-hmm. they were seen as quote unquote like dirty or like not uh-huh. sacred. Um, yeah. But in Polynesia, the responsibility of like being pregnant and reproducing was seen as something powerful and not something that would be seen as dirty. And because men had less mana, they had to go through a period of purification before large endeavors like exploring or tribal wars, um, which typically meant going into seclusion and refraining from eating certain foods. So women got to, you know, continue living their life how they wanted to versus men had to be very um, intentional about what they wanted to do, like with their environment and what they were doing with their body and things like that. Um, I want to go back to the one of the first things you said about, uh, what was it called? It started with an A, I think it was. Animism? Animism, yeah. So... To put that in kind of a different term, it was, animism is more like kind of how much mana an object has. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, So, you know, not only do, it's both animate and animate. So, um, you know, me and you have mana, but Mm -hmm. this table also has mana. Yeah. Things like that. That's one thing that I found very interesting as well. Um, especially in Micronesia, mana is not as structured mm-hmm. um, as the other island chains. However, from what my understanding is, mana could be excised from items temporarily by calling upon the spirit who inhabits that item. So a great chief, like you said, um, if that great chief were to die, his final resting place and the place of his death would hold mana for the rest of time. And if you knew that chief's name, you could go to their grave, their final resting place, or the place they died, and excise his mana to help you reach your end goal. So it, like, disperses from, like, their energy and from their, like, soul. Yes. Mana can temporarily, from my understanding, it can temporarily hold someone or permanently hold someone, and chiefs permanently held mana. Okay. Um, And... With the chiefs, when they, if you say someone were to visit their their burial site to, like, kind of call upon this mana, would they, if someone did that, would that be kind of like, was there like a maximum amount of mana that you could get from one area, or would like, say that... someone keeps coming back to get this essence? So... From my understanding, it would be a temporarily mm-hmm. held form of mana. You, I could not find anything that said how long someone could hold it, yeah. when it would go away. Um, the biggest things with mana, especially in Micronesia, is they tried to earn more of it, and they earned okay. more of it through battles and fights and righteous acts. So if you were to save the chief's life mm-hmm. somehow, like if the chief was being attacked by like five people and you jumped in and you helped save the chief's life, yeah. you would gain mana from that self-righteous act, plus you would gain mana from the fight or the battle itself. That's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's almost like um, like life points. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you get so many points at the end of your life and mm-hmm. it's like you're gaining points using yeah. And mana. that's actually something that I realized as well is, especially throughout my research, there's a lot of uh, games, especially in the uh, population or the subculture of nerds that 
like Dungeons and Dragons or some of these other live action role playing games where mana is an actual thing and you yeah. earn it through more stuff that you do. Yeah. yeah, actually I'm glad you touched on that because I did some research earlier about this game that my brother plays all the time called Magic the Gathering. And the main like, I guess, currency of this game is is mana. And it's it's like a, it's a card game. And how you play it is you, you use mana to summon these creatures. And I thought that it was very closely linked. And when I, back when my brother played, uh, I didn't really know this, but I think it's almost kind of draws upon the inspiration of what we're talking about right now with mana. So these, these little mana cards, you can have nearly unlimited, but it's not practical if you do. Uh, and they are in the forms of either trees, water, light, dark, or fire, right? And these are kind of all spiritual things. And then you can use this mana to summon other uh, beings or artifacts. And I think that's kind of, kind of what you were alluding to. Yeah. Like, one thing is, like, a great warrior who held a lot of mana in his lifetime, his like spear or his preferred weapon of choice mm -hmm. would also hold mana and you could use the mana that's in that spear and Micronesian's viewpoint to win more battles to have a higher ground uh, you know so if you're using this great weapon that a chief from a thousand years ago was using and he won every battle he ever fought in it was perceived that that great weapon would help you win all your battles yeah. Um, and now I think we should talk a little bit about taboo. So, from what I from what I, I guess the way I kind of correlate taboo is with taboo because I think it's easy to remember that way. But I know that the the concepts are not exactly aligning. I wouldn't say they're synonyms, but uh, I like to think of taboo as kind of like sacred, forbidden, or off limits or even spiritual, like, kind of laws that people follow in order for a society to be, I guess, run smoothly. And I, I think that it's probably similar in Polynesia, but I'm not so certain how, it, how taboo is in Micronesia. Mm -hmm. So one thing I realized uh, with taboo in Micronesia is that it protects mana. Mana is protected by a set of rules governing the actions and rituals of those who hold it, and that it was important for the successful structuring and development of a unified and stabilized community with clear lines of government. That was the whole point of Tapu and Micronesia. Like, one thing I found really interesting was it's actually Tapu for families to sleep in the same roof. I mean, like, of course, mother and father could sleep under the same roof, but it was taboo for brothers and sisters and first or second cousins to sleep under the same roof. So if a family has two sons and two girls, those two sons and those two daughters would have to find other places in the community to sleep away from them because oh, it was considered taboo for them to intermingle. Yeah. Right, that, and that reminds me, like, of the Melanesia, like... Like yeah. what men, women and men having to stay apart. Yeah. yeah. It, it, uh, it brings me to the movie Tana that we watched earlier in the semester, um, how 
the men and women would sleep under different roofs. There would be a, a very large uh, gap between the two genders where they would not really associate with each other unless kind of they needed to. Mm -hmm. And uh, speaking of the movie, um, there were a lot of other things in that movie that reminded me of Taboo, such as uh, the way that they uh, would dance around, the way that they used their, uh, they used paints to cover themselves, mm -hmm. and many other things, like uh, even if you remember that scene where it was a, it was pretty, it was a pretty intense scene where they, where the two tribes were fighting, and then the, the older guy comes out and they all respect him because that's their taboo to respect the elderly. And uh, I think that not only is it taboo to have those things that are, that are spiritually, I guess, they kind of they have mana as well as mm -hmm. taboo, like the, the paints and the, the celebration <laughs> at the end of the movie. I feel like it was all neatly intertwined with each other in a way that was really, really helpful mm -hmm. to see. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned that, um, you know, in Melanesia they have the paints that they use um, to sell, like, to, excuse me, symbolize mana and tapu versus in Polynesia and cultures, especially like the Maui, excuse me, Mori, they have, um, like, a tattooing process mm -hmm. that, like, is meant to connect them more to the earth. Yeah. One thing I found very interesting that you brought up, Hunter, was how tapu is kind of related and in close relationship to mana. Like, in Micronesia, a chief's sister's daughter. I know it's kind of hard to follow, but the chief's sister's daughter held tapu or mana in the way that she was responsible for leading ceremonies. She was required to stay a virgin of purity until her marriage. And she led young girls in their coming-of-age ceremonies and wedding ceremonies. She was there for births. And that was just that girl's role in society. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. yeah.